this bitch is getting a storm. She did not even know a fucking storm was coming. I'm gonna fuck her fucking face. She has no fucking idea. Hey, honey. Uh, my name's Anthony. I was looking for a little bit of company. Ooh, sick. Oh, sick. I want to smell her bottle. Dude, if you do nothing else for me, let me smell a girl's bottle, you fucking asshole. No, you can't call. You're a fucking idiot, dude. Why are you hovering over me? Oh, Brooke. Brooke, Brooke. Oh, shit, look at this. Oh, Leela, you dirty. Leela, you dirty fucking little bitch. Leela, you dirty little fucking bitch. Oh, Leela, you fucking have no idea. Yes, I was calling for Tiffany. So two, two girls for six. Okay. Shut your fucking mouth, dude, because you didn't score it. I scored it and I stashed it. You fucking idiot, you've done nothing for me. <laughs> oh shit, oh shit, dude, who's the nigga in charge over here? Who's the nigga in charge? Don't look at it, dude. Don't look at it. No, bitch, I got a whole lot. You know what? I already have to shit. So why don't you go fucking lay down and assume the position since you're the one that's going to be the receptacle of my dude. You're going to look back in years on this. You're older and your kids see this, and you'll be so fucking ashamed of yourself because of the opportunities that were provided. The fun, literally just to fucking hang out, the fun that we have, and you fucked it up because you're an idiot. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening and welcome people to episode 98, we are just a couple off uh, that ton. Uh, I am your co-host Mark Foster and as ever I'm joined by my co-host... Ian Loring, drinking a lovely pint, a lovely pint. Of of what? Blandford Flyer. Blandford Flyer? It's Badger's Ale. Ah, you're liking the Badger's at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, and it's a nice, it's got a ginger hook to it. Yeah. And it tastes a lot less than its 5.2% would make you think. Ah, nice, nice. Uh, yeah, I, I've I've got a lovely glass of wine waiting for me after the what is it? Uh, I know. Uh, I've got into the New Zealand whites scene at the moment <laughs> for some reason. Nice, really. I know. Yeah, yeah. We're, lit- we're literally powering through every different um, New Zealand serving yon we can find at the moment. No, that's not yeah. a bad little. Uh, that's not a bad little tour to do. Yeah, we're we're, we're on uh, we're on one called Haymaker tonight. Haymaker, nice. 
Nice. Yeah, I know. It's, they've all got really fucking good names. They've got really kick-ass names. Um, well, this week, uh, we are, we've got no marathon, uh, because we only recorded a few days ago, and the next film we're doing on the marathon is two and a half hours long, so to get in the films that we had to get in to cover, as well as sort out the other bits, it, it would have just been a little bit of a stretch. But what we do have for you is another double review show. Uh, we're going to be covering Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film, Inherent Bites. Uh, we're also going to bring you the uh, the Marvel film that's not actually a Marvel film. That's a Disney film, uh, Big Hero 6. We're going to bring you some one old and one new, some trailers, some questions, and the usual kind of tangents that are, that are out there. Um, so... Um, Anything to add, Ian? Actually, it's not. It's been a couple of days since we last recorded, hasn't it? So. Yeah, no, not really. Um, yeah. Um, uh, but, 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 um, I don't know. I mean, I will say for any gamers out there, I picked up Shadow of Mordor last week, and I've now given up on Shadow of Mordor. Um, oh. Too fucking much work that game for me. Um, but I did just um, on PSN they've got Infamous Second Son uh, for fifteen ninety nine at the moment, which is actually cheaper than you can get it on Amazon. Which for something on PSN is a fucking miracle. Um, that is, yeah, because usually that they're. I mean, fucking hell. Still, I think I, I think I am looking at FIFA fourteen the day before FIFA fifteen went live, and it was still sixty quid yeah, on PSN. Yeah, I mean it's it's probably fifty quid now. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because uh, I, I, uh, Infamous First Light was free on PS Plus last month, and I um, I played about half an hour of that, and I was like, right, okay, well, apparently you're supposed to play Second Son, really, and I was really, really digging First Light, so I'm about an hour into Second Son, and that, it's, it's it, it actually kind of makes you feel like a superhero. It's <laughs> awesome. It looks amazing. It does. Well. Uh, yeah, I had it when it first when uh, when first got the PS4. I had it then, um, and I, I'll be honest, I, I, I kind of lost interest in it. But that's that's just my relationship with games. To be honest, I lose interest quite often, uh, quite easily. But I got like three hours into it, and it was just a lot of fun. It's. I mean, it is gorgeous as yeah. well. Like when you're throwing around all your plat powers and like flying about and whatnot. It's. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm really, really digging it. So, um, yeah, uh, but there you go. So, I, I don't know. I've been doing a lot of that this week, like kind of gaming as well this week. So, um, and I put, yeah, up, nice. I, I put up some stair gates for the kid, and she's, oh. not, she's not enjoying them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so is she, how is she on foot now? She can, she can walk down our hallway. Um, so she's she's doing all right. Yeah, once that's it. Once they start walking, you have to go. Shit! Literally, we have to make sure that there's nothing that she can touch that might kill her or that she might break. Yeah, I mean the good thing is up to the kitchen there are steps, and she can't get up those yet, so she can't get into the kitchen from the lounge. Um, but she did like trying to get up the stairs. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, no, there's a staircase at the bottom of the stairs and at the top of the stairs now. So uh, she was kicking off about it as well. <laughs> she knew something was different. Ah uh, well, won't be long, buddy. Anything in your world? Uh, no, no, I've, I've had a. Um... I've been at work essentially since last time we recorded. Uh, I had two 14 hour days and then I had a Saturday where I worked Saturday because it was my boss's birthday and I don't like them working on their birthday. I didn't work on their birthday. So I, I worked for uh, my boss on Saturday so he didn't have to. Brutal. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm hanging on at the moment. I'm absolutely shattered. <laughs> uh, but 
Without further ado, Ian, uh, what, what trailers have you caught in the, the past couple of days since we last recorded? Okay, so uh, the trailer for Ted 2 came out. Um, yeah. I liked Ted, and I liked A Million Ways to Die in the West. And, uh, I don't know, it looks like it could be funny. Um, I'm, glad that, I'm glad they're not doing the same old thing again, and they're actually you know, trying something different. The idea of um, Ted trying to get like human rights is, mm. um, I don't know, a, a, a fun enough concept, I suppose. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not expecting too much out of it, but I, you know, a few laughs and I'd be happy enough with it. I think um, the uh, the Super Bowl spot for Terminator Genesis, which again just looks really fucking bland, um, like really bland. Um, and the I did like the Super Bowl spot for Minions. I must say, it's very very Super Bowl themed, and it involves the Minions getting naked, and uh, that that was a good time. Uh, but beyond that, no. I can see there's a Super Bowl spot for Avengers come out, which I've missed. But um, that was about it for me. Yeah, I'm not, I've only caught a couple. Um, a trailer for a upcoming sci-fi horror called, horror called uh, Ejector, uh, which looks looks like it, it, it's something that maybe in six eight months time uh, I'll be flicking through Netflix and go, oh, that was that film. I'm not going to watch it. Um, also the uh, there's a new trailer for Furious 7 out, um, which it, it, it is basically the same as the first trailer with just a few added little bits in it. Um, oh, do you know what? I think I saw that. There's more Kurt Russell in it. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. it before, um, uh, before Kingsman, which we'll talk about later on. But yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Furious Seven. You know, I'm 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 not massively looking forward to it, but uh, when it comes out, I think I'll be I'll definitely be watching it um, because you know the, the past couple have been really entertaining. So you know, it's one of the big sort of movies that that I'll I'll definitely be catching. Um, and then yeah, the Ted Two trailer. I was not as big a fan of, of, of Ted as, as yourself. I uh, didn't hate it or anything, I, uh, but then I I really quite like quite enjoyed um, the worst down the West. Uh, I yeah, it, it looks like you say it, it's nice that they're not that they're actually going to put kind of some kind of story into it. Um, um, there's there's a lot they can kind of do with it uh, with with that kind of idea and anything like that. So I laughed enough times in the trailer and made me go, do you know what? I enjoyed the first one. I didn't love it. I didn't think it was fantastic, but yeah, there's enough there for me to make me go. I I, I could happily go and watch that. Yeah, yeah, no, it, I think it's exactly that. I mean, it's it's one of those ones where if I'm busy that weekend or if there's a film I'd rather see out that weekend, I'll go see the other film. Yeah. But otherwise, I will happily watch this. Yeah. Um, it is. I mean, I think it's one of those where it'll make 500 million just off the basis of the fact that people will go and see it. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be that kind of thing. It's it's one of those ones where like you, uh, uh, Johnny, four films a year will go and see Ted too. Yeah. So you know, um, yeah, I mean five five hundred million worldwide easy, I'd say. Yeah, I mean because I mean a million ways down the west was I was a massive bomb. It, it, you know, I mean it still made a decent enough amount of money, but nowhere near kind of Ted money. Mm. Uh, which they were looking to make. So, yeah, I'll, I, like I say, if, if there's nothing out that week or nothing that looks interesting that week, I'm sure we'll cover it. If there's something that's a little more interesting, then we'll probably end up talking about it in sort of like September or October <laughs> when it comes out on Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, right, so what we'll do now is we'll get into our first uh, review, uh, which is of Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, new flick, uh, Inherent Vice. We'll play you a trailer for it and then we'll we'll get into it. 
nice. Hey, Sanj. What's up, Doc? You know you have no case here. So if you're going to charge him, you bet him. Otherwise, you have to let him go. Mm, Sanj, remember who this is you're talking to? That's Bigfoot Bjornsson. Man, that sounds cop. I know he is. So, what's the beef here exactly? It doesn't have much to do with your specialty, which I understand is marine law. We got plenty of crime on the high seas, Lieutenant. Okay, well, so far we have murder and kidnapping. We can work in pirates if it would make you more comfortable. Either way, it's high profile. Yeah, but um, given your history of harassment with my client, this will never make it to trial. No, I think we could probably take this all the way to trial, but with our luck, you know, the jury pool will be 99% hippie. Unless you change the venue to maybe like uh, Orange County. Not as many hippies down there, you know. So who you work for? Clients pay me for work, Doc. Clients pay me for work, Doc. Okay, you heard of the trailer there for uh, Paul Sanderson's Inherent Vice. Uh, it stars Joaquin Phoenix, Josh Brolin, Owen Wilson, Catherine Watson, Reese Witherspoon, Benicia Del Toro, Jenna Malone, uh, Michael K. Williams, Eric Roberts, uh, and a whole whole host of the people that you'll go, that's that's him from Thing. Uh, a, a lot of those. Based on a Thomas Punisher novel of the same name. However, bits of it have kind of been changed. Set in uh, California, well, yeah, in California, Los Angeles, uh, in 1970, uh, and tells the story of Larry Doc Spoletto, who's a PI, used to be a cop, and has taken up the hippie kind of uh, stoner lifestyle uh, his previous girlfriend Shasta Fay comes to him uh, and asks him to look into uh, a chap that she's been having well essentially kind of a she's been a mistress of would you say um, sure. a property developer named Mickey Wolfman played by Eric Roberts and from there shit kind of starts going a little bit crazy um, Ian what did you make of this um kind of stoner crime comedy. Yeah, um, it's interesting this, because I've I, I kind of heard a lot of, of people saying, I'm not too sure what to think of it, I think it's going to need another watch before I can really form an opinion. And Which is exactly what I said when I first watched it. Yeah, I wasn't there at all, I just, I... Oh, no, I, I, I had an opinion, I, I had my opinion, yeah, I had an opinion, but I needed, I needed to watch it yeah. again. To see if that it was just it, it, see if I was wrong essentially. Yeah, no, I mean this. I mean this film is a joy from start to finish. Um, you know, it's about you know the ending of hippie culture and the start of Nixon, the like Nixon led seventies and uh, that basically the, the the fog of conspiracy and the, the the idea that the world is basically set up to either make you conform or to destroy you. Um, so it's dealing with really, really weighty stuff, but in the most fucking entertaining way possible. Um, I mean, it, it's it, it's an insanely strong film, um, and it's anchored by Joaquin Phoenix, who could not. I, I do not think he could do anything better with this. You know, he is a stoner, and he does lose the thread of things, but. You, you you never get the sense that he's not taking particular things seriously. He, he always he's got this weird kind of way of making it seem as if he's focused, despite the fact that he's stoned off his nut. And um, I, I, it, I, yeah, I mean, I really, really loved it, uh, loved it, loved it. And I 
would have happily have watched it again straight after if I had the time. Um, you know, and like in a in a previous life, I probably would have, frankly. You know, but um, yeah, it's it, it's a joy, Mark. Yeah, I I was pretty much exactly the same. It, it finished, and I thought, right, I know one thing. I know that I absolutely loved what I've just seen, and I could watch it again now, but I'm going to give it a few days, and then I'm going to rewatch it just to see how much I did actually love it. Uh, and I've rewatched it again, so I've actually watched it twice. Um, and, yeah, it is... It is just such a joy of a film to watch. Um, it is... It's one of those films that I could see myself watching, you know, at least once a year for the next however long, uh, and yeah. never getting bored of it. And it, and it, it's, it's a two and a half hour movie, but it is, it, it's nice the fact that, cause I mean, I'm, I'm a huge part of Thomas Anderson film. I've not, you know, the, the film I've, I've least enjoyed of Paul Thomas Anderson's is The Master. And The Master's still a, a very good film. Um, but, this is sort of it, it's it's very different to the past couple of films that he's made. It, it seems like he's back to having a lot of fun with his movies because There Will Be Blood and The Master are very very good movies, but let's let's be honest, they're not especially fun movies. There's a lot of there's a lot going on in them. They're quite they're very serious movies, whereas things like. Um, Boogie Nights and Magnolia, they're, they're very, they're quite serious movies in themselves, but they're also quite fun movies as well. Uh, more so Boogie Nights than Magnolia. And I think Aaron Rice sort of takes us back to that kind of style of Paul Thomas Anderson. But it is one of those, it, it does remind you very early on when you're watching it within sort of like the first 10 minutes, uh, in often a lot of ways, uh, like, like a Tarantino movie does, um, and you know they're they're friends and everything like that. Then they come around around sort of prominence around kind of the same time, um, even though they are quite different filmmakers. But you get the feeling with a Paul Thomas Anderson film in the first ten minutes of, oh, this guy's good at what he does, isn't he? I mean, he's very good. The opening this film is just it had that bravado back, that kind of cockiness of. You're about to step into this world and you're either not going to like it and it's going to lose you or you're going to absolutely fall in love with this this world that isn't quite what you think it is and will just take you everywhere. It doesn't all make sense, but it don't matter because you're going to have a lot of fucking fun in this world. And it's that moment from where uh, Shasta Fear pulls off in the car and then that song kicks in. Oh, the uh, the logo, the kind of the neon logo yeah. on the screen. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. that song lingers for about the next seven or eight minutes sure. through a few scenes, and he's just walking around, and you're getting that voiceover, and it was from that that I just I went, all right, do you know what? Yes, take me, take me where you're taking me because I fucking want to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, the thing is, what I thought which is interesting as well is that um, you know. A lot of the, the stuff around this is that it, it, it's very hard to follow. And, I mean, it is, you know, even though I think the central through line is pretty, yeah, okay. And, I mean, it basically boils down to Shasta barely had anything to do with anything. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, she's kind of an incidental character in the plot, but in terms of the, of, uh, the character arc of Doc, she is front and centre. And, uh, I think that's quite interesting. You know, there are various kind of like roads that it goes down that don't don't really come um, come to anything either. And 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 in the end, I mean, like the, the ending is kind of happy despite the fact that you know, in a way, Doc loses because you know he doesn't expose anything. You mm. know, he, he he kind of gets to the bottom of stuff, but you know, it, it, it's not like there's a, there's a great revelation that's going to change yeah. the world. It's just that he gets his girl back, I suppose. Yeah, his his life's not really changed that kind of much. No, I mean you you get the feeling Shasta could be gone again in another couple of weeks. To be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but you get the feeling that he's fine with that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it it really is um, a a really great performance by Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, as usual, it's just something you just come to expect from Joaquin Phoenix now. Yeah, I mean, he looks smelly as fuck, and he kind of looks like a hobo, but at the same time, he is super kind of charming in a weird way as well. Like that scene where he goes into Reese Witherspoon's <laughs> office, and that one, you know, the, the one guy looks at him as if he's just walked in off the street. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, you know, you can kind of understand why Witherspoon's character would be attracted to him at the same time, because the amount of time he spent with him. Yeah. Um, and he, he's charismatic as fuck as well. And it's interesting as well, because I was listening to an interview with uh, an interview with Anderson earlier on today, and he was saying that this is the closest to the real Joaquin Phoenix as, as there actually is, and he's quite a playful and kind of mischievous kind of guy. And, uh, I mean, that, that totally comes across here, and I think if you look back to something like I'm Still Here, um, you, know, I, I, you know, there's obviously a playfulness to him there as well. And it's nice to see him actually kind of kick back and relax into a role because he's usually quite a quite a, you know an intense character i mean like even from fucking gladiator back in the day um he, he had that kind of moody kind of almost teenager emperor thing to him and you know through the master and even walk the line you know there's not much warmth in walk the line and it's nice to see him be straight up comedic and, and do mm. it really well. He also takes a punch and a smack to the head like no one's business. <laughs> yeah, he's, like you say, it does seem like he's, he's really, like you say, Joaquin Phoenix is quite an intense character in himself. Um, but with this, in a similar way, so I think with Paul Thomas Anderson, they do seem like he's got a bit of a freedom to go and be quite playful with this character and kind of take it um, outside of the the realms of kind of what you would deem as being what would actually happen. Like, the, for instance, the, the bit where he looks at the picture and he just screams and then just sort of nods and goes, mm-hmm, yeah, and then just gives it back <laughs> to her. And it's just moments like that. Are, are, it's fucking am- Sorry. Yeah. That bit's it, fucking it, amazing. That just is, the look on his face and how he just completely just keeps it held in is, oh, my God. Yeah, and there's, there's 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 so many moments like like that where he's just you can kind of tell that it, it, he's just gone for it, and Anderson's gone. Do you know what? That it works with this character because, like you say, he's supposed to be a little. He's supposed to be baked pretty much all of the time, mm. and that kind of comes across. Um, and there's just the bits where he keeps falling over are just great. And then when you you've got 
every character just feels so so lived in. You've got Josh Brolin, who's this uh, who calls himself what is it a Renaissance cop because he he does the acting and uh, voice over, and then you know, but he's this proper hard nosed um, down the line asshole cop who th- that the moment he rings up uh, Doc to say that they'd sent some patrol cops round to Shasta Fay's apartment and he's saying you know they went in there and it's um, you know it's all you know with the windows were broken and you know she's gone and Doc's kind of went oh he went yeah, she's she's not there. She's split. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says, he goes, what? She, you mean, she's just she's just disappeared. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were. Yeah, she's gone. And he just says it again. Yeah. <laughs> you get the funny thing. He's such a prick. And all he's done is just bring him up just to be an arsehole. And then you get the moment where he does it later on. And then his wife comes on the phone and starts chewing Doc out about to leave him alone. Yeah, I... I, I... <laughs> You give me one day of the week, you know, just like, like busting his balls. No, it's, uh, I mean. Doc's just there going, uh, he called me. Yeah, and then he just hangs up the phone. She's just screaming at him and he just hangs up the phone. It's, no, it's great. It's great. Yeah, uh, it's just, it, it's, it's that oddball kind of mania that we got in something like, like the first two hours of Magnolia and for pretty much all of Boogie Nights that that offbeat kind of kill that, 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 that Poison Sanderson has just done so well is here but then there's also this this kind of um, noiristic edge to it uh, of this 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 kind of this story that runs through it and this mystery that never really ever actually gets explained <laughs> at all kind of just works for it all because I mean it, it basically Joaquin Phoenix he kind of like Doc he gets obsessed with the golden fang yeah and that kind of takes precedence over everything else and just the amount of references to golden fang or variants on the term golden fang that are peppered through the film it, it's just it's it's amazing and it, I mean it, it absolutely reinforces that idea of basically the world is out to make you conform or destroy you just the way mm. it, it could be one of these things nobody knows what it is is it any any of these things is it all of these things is it something completely different and more insidious you know it's uh, it, it, it's it's incredible but it does also give you uh doc, dr blacknoid um yeah. who martin short holy shit holy yeah. shit what a cameo it is it, it's brilliant and, and it is it is Martin Short, essentially, you can imagine that he turned up, did two or three days on set, and just went, rah, and then left. And everyone just, all just gone, that was fucking incredible. I mean, his character's super funny, and then he dies in the most sinister way. Like a <laughs> yeah. trampolining accident. <laughs> and it, it, like, it's almost like they're barely even trying to conceal the fact that he was murdered. Because yeah. he's such a weird... A trampoline accident. Uh, it's it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and the great thing is, it's the fact that it literally he, he's there for five minutes, five ten minutes, and then he's gone, and he's referenced that he's died, and it, it continues to be referenced throughout the film. Mm. Uh, but like you say, Doc never gets to kind of the bottom of it, but he does know what's happened. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of obvious, really, isn't it? And it just yeah. that's the thing. I mean, like if you actually go to the film for the plot, I've got a feeling another couple of watches could probably sink it up. Because uh, mm. I mean, uh, Tom, Paul Thomas Anderson is adamant that it does make sense if yes. you actually watch it for the plotting. But he's also like, but you don't have to watch it for the plot. You can just take the ride. And, it and does I'm start to make happy to do that. It does start to make more sense on a on a second watch. Sure. Uh, and I, I imagine on a third watch, it you'll go ah, because there was bits that I was doing on the second watch, going that was that, ah, and that's that, and that's that. But there's also it peppered in sort of like the because it is a very 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 funny movie. But peppered in that, you've also got some real kind of, you know, those scenes where you just literally, you, you actually have to sort of consciously remind your brain to actually kind of breathe and go, shit, am I breathing? Yeah, I am. Phew. Because you just, you get that sort of transfixed on what's going on. There are some magnificent scenes. The scene where um, Shasta Fay comes back and essentially she just is sat um, telling uh, Doc about what she was doing with uh, with Mickey, and she just sat naked, just, um, just essentially just jacking off in front of him. Yeah. Um, and it's just, and it's not a oh god, you get to watch a girl jack off kind of scene. But it was a this is what what she's doing to Doc. She's doing to everybody who's watching this. She essentially is seducing everybody. Uh, by telling this, what essentially is quite a nasty little story about that, and it is again, it is the, it, it's playing into that kind of that that what lies beneath sort of like the, the normality of life kind of bits, and it, it it plays so so well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I found that scene very disturbing, actually. It just, That's it, yeah. Like, and the way he kind of, like, goes off as well, just, like, spanks her ass and then just, like, it, almost like an animal. It's, like, the the one kind of impulsive thing he does in pretty much the entire film. Um, it's, yeah, no, very, very weird moment, that. Yeah, and then, you know, also you've got the, um, the, the last moment we see... Um, Bigfoot and uh, Josh Brolin's character, who just bursts into um, Doc's uh, um, house, um, which has been referenced earlier that that's what, that he does that on a frequent basis, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but takes the joint off him, has a couple of talks, and then eats it's it, the and then proceeds oh my God. It to eat the ashtray and everything else, and then just walks out, and it's like. And, and well, it, it pans back to uh, Doc, and Doc is literally stood there, just crying. You know, sat there, just crying. And it's, it is just kind of, it, it, it's the fact that it's not explained, but you kind of get what's going on there. It's that he's just, he's snapped. Yeah. And that's it. And Doc kind of, I don't know, he has this love hate relationship with him. You know that, like, that night he goes out and he kills, like, probably some, like, black guys or something like that, you know, and, you know, and, and he just, like, he, he, he just is one of those fascist cops who is just insanely repressed and, and just lets it all out, you know, either that or he goes off and gets his dick sucked by some male prostitute, you know, something like that, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's, it, again from Josh Brolin, it's such a strong performance. Uh, he, uh, he looks like he's got that character fucking nailed. And I'm sorry, but, Moto Parakeku! Just, that's it. I was, I, I could watch that scene over and over and over and over and over but and never get bored. My favourite moment of Mo- Moto Panakeku is just the end of that scene where the guy off screen just goes, okay, it's coming! Oh, <laughs> 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 it's brilliant, but it's the great line of, uh, pancakes, ah, as good as my mother's, but you know why I come here? It's the respect. Mm-hmm. And it's the fact that you're thinking, respect, you've shouted Moto Panakeku like seven or eight times and they've not brought you any pancakes. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just a joy of a film to watch. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I will just say my, my favourite particular comedy moment was F-U-C-K-I-N-G-E. <laughs> fucking it fucking yeah. yeah that and that and when um, Joaquin Phoenix is at the uh, the massage parlour and he tries to join in with the girls <laughs> and that one of them just like shoves him away that was uh, that was pretty solid as well and the, I, I did like the 1495 pussy feast on the wall uh, yeah that, uh, good detail that but um, yeah I mean it's it's an insanely entertaining film. but And it kind yeah. of does feel like it's about something in the background as well, which is just icing on the cake. Yeah, it, it's one of those... I, I, I personally it's going to go down as one of those films where I think it's a little bit underappreciated at the moment because it this film shouldn't have been released now. This film should have been released October, November, before the Biggs Awards season push. Um, because it's kind of ended up getting released around the time when a lot of other awards films get released, and it, it kind of has got lost in the in the wave of all that. I don't think it's going to be as appreciated as it should be right now, but I think like but with Magnolia, in sort of like a few years' time, people are going to look back on Herod Vice and go, you know what, that's a fucking great movie. Because it really is a fucking great movie. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um... I, I, I'd say, you know, I, I can't understand why Joaquin Phoenix hasn't been nominated for every fucking award. But I think that the sole reason is he just doesn't give a shit. And he actually doesn't give a fuck about being nominated. I think, actually more, I think it, he'd be more pissed off to be nominated than to not be nominated. Even though... At the Golden Globes, he was there, and I think he was nominated, and they took the piss out of him for um, his previous yeah. stance on, uh, like, the awards. Uh, like, I think they were making a joke about awards season and all the, like, the shilling that all the actors have to do, and then they just went, oh, hey, Joaquim, I didn't see you hit there. Hi. You know, it, it just, it, which, which is kind of fair enough, I think, to be honest, because he's um, been very snarky about that kind of thing, but it seems like he's more willing to play the game now as well. Yeah, I think, because remember, was it for the... The master. Yeah, that he was being very. I'm not going to any of this stuff. I'm not doing any of it. Yeah. Yeah, but there was something I I, I read uh, with. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was him. I think I think it might even be with Paul Thomas Anderson. Where Paul Thomas Anderson was was talking about it and said, you know, and somebody asked him about the wacky and Phoenix thing. And he said, apparently his uh, his auntie told him uh, that it would be that he should show some respect and still go if they've if they've wanted to. Um, to reward or acknowledge uh, what he's done, then it would be impolite for him to not at least turn up. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that's kind of fair enough, 
frankly. Yeah, and, and, and it is, and it, so he kind of, it, it kind of, it, so they said, you know, I think he more goes because he doesn't want to get told off by his auntie or something stupid like that. I mean, that, that, well, I mean, there's, 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 I mean, there's fair play there. I mean, at the end of the day, he's an actor, probably lives in Los Angeles, probably has a lot of actor friends, and it's just like, why not do that? I mean, you don't have to peddle your wares and absolutely whore yourself for it or anything like that. You know, there are some actors, like, I, I remember apparently Jacka Weaver was very, very, like, basically whoever wanted to talk to her, she'd talk to if it got her more press when she was campaigning well, did, for Best Supporting Actress for An- Animal Kingdom. And you know what? She won. Yeah, did, did, did Melissa Leo that year take out an ad in a, um, in a magazine or something? Yeah, yeah, Melissa Leo. I might... I know Jackie Weaver did a bit, but no, Melissa Leo is who I was thinking. But yeah, yeah, she, re- she, she basically really, really bought, put money into trying to win. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's strange. Potsdam does seem to gravitate towards, you know, um, these these type of, you know, not 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 difficult as such actors, but these actors who are very who are very much in it for the craft. You know, with people like uh, Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, people like that. So it, it, it's it must be something that he sees. And you know, Pozzan's no matter what he does, I'm gonna be interested. Um, like I say I wasn't as um, you know as a huge fan of the Master as I was to, of pretty everything else he's done. I still need to give the Master a rewatch. I still haven't rewatched it. Um, I, I think I, I'm hoping that I that it grows on, on, a, on a rewatch for me uh, from where it was from when I first I watched it. it. I did you? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you said you did, yeah. But uh, Inherent Vice, I just found it to be an absolute joy to watch. And like I say, I've watched it twice in a couple of weeks and I could happily watch I could see myself watching it again at least once or twice before the end of this year's out. Okay. It is just so damn fun and entertaining and easy to watch. It is... I mean, it's a definitely not shit. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, I mean, top ten at the end of the year, easy, I'd say. Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. I'd be very I'd be very surprised if it isn't um, isn't fighting for a top spot. Agreed. Uh, right, so that was Inherent Vice. Uh, we're going to play you some promos of podcasts that we uh, know and enjoy. Um, and then we'll get into some one old and some one news. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroke and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. It just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time, though. I mean, I must, is this on? You can find us at csvsp.libson.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody... <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret.
It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick to manage it. You'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I could handle anything. Action. Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. And romance. Now he's decided it's time to go back for just one more adventure. Humans are such easy prey. Noel Miller presents. You're the problem, you little shit. The Adventures in VHS podcast. Join me, Noel Mellor, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures of VHS or visit adventuresofvhs.com. Okay, there was some um, promise, some podcasts we know and enjoy. Uh, Ian, do you want to kick us off with one of your one or, or one news, please? Yeah, I'll do my um, I'll do my one news, just kind of while we're talking about current releases. So uh, I, I went off and um, uh, checked out Kingsman, uh, the Secret Service yesterday. Um, yesterday, uh, latest film was directed by Matthew Vaughn, uh, director of uh, X Men First Class and um, Stardust and whatnot. And this was the uh, the film that he uh, kind of uh, chose to not do Days of Future Past for. Um, so it's him teaming up with uh, Mark Millar again. Uh, obviously, they work together on Kickass, and uh, basically, you know, it, this is a line used elsewhere, but it does do for uh, Bond films what Kickass did for superhero films, essentially, um, which is basically uh, celebrates them and also takes the piss out of them and tries to be one. Um, except this, this tries to basically be an older school Bond film. Um, the film has some kind of meta references where um, Colin Firth's talking about how he likes old spy films with um, outlandish locations and uh, megalomaniacal villains. And that's kind of basically what you get here. The uh, the, the climax takes place in a kind of a, a base installed in a mountain in the Arctic. So or somewhere around the Arctic. So, you know, it's it, it's kind of one of those things. But um yeah, so this comes out in the US in a, in a couple of weeks' time. There's a Super Bowl spot for it actually airing tonight as well. So uh, basically, the story is um, this guy who's new to me, uh, Taron Ed- Edgerton, even though he was in uh, Testament of Youth, which came out in UK cinemas last week, I think. Um, he plays um, Eggsy, um, who's kind of a, a bit of a bad boy, basically. And um, Colin Firth plays Harry Hart, a um, member of the Kingsman, a uh, kind of secret line of non-governmental spies uh, who basically fund themselves and try to do good for the world without any kind of agenda from uh, from from government or any world leaders or anything like that. Um, Eggsy is recruited by Harry and is put through a kind of a, a, a training session to see if he can be a Kingsman. And uh, the villain of the piece is uh, Samuel Jackson, who plays this guy called Valentine, who's uh, kind of a tech giant who is uh, looking for a way to stop global warming, but in a very kind of or, or to try and make the world a better place in a very on the face of it, uh, dark way, uh, basically. Um so yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. Um, it's not perfect. It there, there's in the narrative. There's 
for for as much as it's kind of like paying homage to old older films, there's a couple of beats in the narrative that are very very worn and expected. Um, there's a uh, there's a villain in the ranks that you know it, it just you can come see it, it you, you you can see a mile off, frankly, and um, there's uh, something involving one of the characters which I thought was uh, quite obvious as well. Um, there's an end of the second act moment that is just, yeah, right, kind of got the impression that was going to happen. Um, but um, but saying that, it, it's just insanely entertaining. And the thing is, you, you look at Taron Edgerton playing this kind of, this, this um, kind of, like chatty kid from the estates and whatnot, and you, you're kind of thinking, "Oh Christ, is it gonna go down the, the kind of attack the block route of trying to make you feel sympathetic for a prick?" And yeah. it doesn't. Um, it, it, that, that was my worry about it was that uh, that kind of pandering to youth culture, uh, East London youth culture. Uh, it, 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 I have no fucking interest in at all. It is. It's like Neil's done a fucking chartboard for me. Yeah, it, it doesn't. I mean, it, it, it quite well paints the idea that this kid went went down the wrong side of the tracks through societal influence. So, like, where he was growing up and the, the one kind... I mean, this is, this is the first five minutes of the film, but basically Colin Firth basically was training Eggsy's dad as a potential Kingsman candidate, and through a mistake of Colin Firth's, the dad ends up dead. Um, so, you know, at the start of the film, Eggsy and his mum, their, their, their place is quite nice, and the mum seems like just a loving mum in a normal household. And then basically, because the father dies, she gets with uh, one of the, the local kind of, like, mean guys. And, you know, because of this... Eggsy grows up in in a household that, that, that doesn't have much love for him, basically. And yeah. um, I mean, it's it, 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 but he's kind of like he he is intelligent and uh, you know he is gifted. He just doesn't have the because of society, basically, he doesn't have the means of of, of getting above his station, uh, essentially. And it's it's got a lot of um, it's got a lot of stuff about uh, you know kids from this kind of end of society trying to make a, a, a better uh, a better fist of themselves and the idea that you know to be a to be a to be a kingsman it's not all in the in the look or the way you talk it's in the way that you uh, approach your life and the, the and the way that you feel in yourself uh, and and i mean he he actually taron edgerton plays that very well and, um, you know, his transformation, by the end, he is wearing a suit and a nice pair of glasses and that kind of thing. But it feels earned. Um, and uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised by that, because, like you say, that was my worry going into the film. that Oh, you know, Christ, it's going to be like that. And to be honest, by the end of it, you are cheering him on. Um, and, and actually, speaking of the end as well, um, there's... A, I'd heard going into the film that there was a moment that people were getting up in arms about, and I was kind of waiting throughout the whole film to see what that was. And there's, I mean, there's a couple of moments that are quite surprising. I mean, there's there's, there's one moment involving um, an explosive, many explosive devices and a firework-looking effect, which was 
stunning in the most hilarious, that's brilliant way, um, which uh, really stood out. But apparently the moment that had been pissing people off is there's a joke in the end uh, about um, fucking someone up the arse. And it's just like, well, in the end of the day, it's just a more, it's basically, you know, spoiler alert, Eggsy is successful in his mission. Mm. You know, and um, there's there's a girl who had was kind of came on to him earlier on in the film, and uh, she uh, he sees her again, and there's a bit of a joke before they go and have sex, and it's it's basically it's a filthier version of a joke at the end of an old Bond film. It's like it's a filthy version of the end of Moonraker when Q says, "I think he's attempting reentry, sir." You know, there's there's I mean I don't know. It's just. It's, again, it's so much love for Bond films in it that it's just a Bond homage. And I I don't see what the... I mean, I suppose there's an element of, you know, Eggsy is successful in his prizes, he gets to fuck the Princess of Denmark up the arse. But I I don't know, it's just like, I'm I'm kind of... I don't know, I'm alright with that myself. It just, it makes me laugh. I I don't know, it's just in in a kind of like a... That's quite corny and really kind of way. I, I, I don't know. It was fine. One of those ones where you, you can't really see why people people are getting snippy about it for the sake of getting snippy about something no. rather than actually getting snippy about something. No, I mean it's, no, exactly. I mean it's a really smart film as well. There's um, one really massive, glorious action sequence in this church, and it ends. And the reason why the character was doing all the killing is kind of explained, but it was kind of, he wasn't really meaning to do it. And at the end, you just see him kind of panting, and it cuts to a wide shot of all these bodies all over this church. And, like, it's it's basically, like, while it's in it, it's all pumped up and visceral and fast edits, and, like, he's enjoying himself doing it. And then at the end, it's the realisation of, look what I've done. You know, and it's it's kind of challenging the audience as well. Mm. Um, you know, and there's interesting elements there. There's also kind of an interesting thing where there's a lot of product placement for The Sun. Uh, Colin Firth's character has loads of front pages of The Sun in his office. And I was, I was right. thinking, like, really? His character's going to do that? That's a bit, oh, fuck's sake, product placement. Ah, You know, but then later on in the film, he's basically saying... If I know I've done my job well, it's that I'm not on the front page. Instead, it's a load of celebrity shit. Uh, you know, that's so kind of like, clever then, yeah. So on the dates, you know, that he was, he'd been doing all his missions, it was just garbage in the headlines. And I thought that was quite a clever, subtle way of doing, you know, product placement, but also skewering the product placement. Um, so, I mean, that's the thing. Like, on the face of it, it's quite, it's just a bit of a romp. But if you are okay to dig deeper into it, there's more stuff going on in there. And I will say, Samuel L. Jackson's plot as well, it there's there's a side of it where you are thinking, yeah, all right, that actually kind of makes sense um, as well, which is interesting and cynical. Um, but yeah, I mean, I the thing is, 
I, I, personally, I don't really want a sequel because look at Kick-Ass 2, and I know Vaughn didn't have too much to do with that, but um, he was still producing it. It was his production company who made it, so he had a degree of responsibility in there. And this feels like a good one-off, and it tells this story of this kid who grows to be a, a man, you know, and um, and I'm, I'm kind of done. I think a second one, like, like Kick-Ass 2, might be overkill and might spoil the effect. Uh, but as a one and done, it is spot fucking on. So yeah, yeah. I, I really, it, like I say, it's it's not perfect, but it's really really fun. Yeah, good, good. I, it's one I'll catch when it when it arrives on on blue rather than at a cinema. Fair enough. Um, just time constraints yeah. more than anything else. Cool. Uh, I'm going to throw up my my one all just to keep it. Um, to keep it kind of fresh, um, I watched. I've only watched a couple of uh, old things this week, actually. And one of them was uh, Chef, which, of course, I talked about, you know, on another podcast and uh, very recently. Um, but I watched um, for the first time in a while, actually. Um, I'd say a few years. Uh, David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Um, 1986 movie. If anyone doesn't know Blue Velvet, uh, it's these. Um, Follows a character called Jeffrey Beaumont, played by Carl McLaughlin, who's returned back to, uh, his small little town, a town called Lumberton, uh, after his, uh, dad has a stroke, um, and he finds a, a human ear, a severed human ear in, um, like a little sort of rough, um, of, of grass, uh, and a back sort of road near where he lives, and takes it to a, um, a detective that uh, he obviously knows in some way, that kind of small town thing, uh, and then he has an inquisitive mind and wants to kind of you know know what's going on with it. And uh, the detective's daughter, played by uh, Laura Dern, kind of says, "Oh well, you know, it, it could be related to this," and it leads him to investigating. Uh, a lounge singer called Dorothy Valance, played by Isabella Rossellini, which then leads into Dennis Hopper's Frank Booth and into a world of um, crime, kidnap, mutilation, and uh, and death that he wasn't really expecting. Um, and it's, you know, I'm a huge, hugely Lynch fan, as you can say, um, but it is always strange watching Blue Velvet because I watch every few years. Because again, like we were saying last week about some films, they're not. Blue Velvet's a magnificent, wonderful film, but it, it, it's not a film that I could watch every year because it is quite a, it, it's quite a nasty film actually. Uh, is Blue Velvet? There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of ugliness in it, and, it, and it, it, it is absolutely trying to do that. It is part of its mo. It's part of what it, it's actually doing. And uh, Lynch is a wonderful way of mixing this bizarre kind of. Um, almost bubblegum approach to, to life with looking deep I mean the actual the opening where we get to go underneath and it goes from the white picket fence and the you know and the yellow flowers and then we delve into the grass and then we've got the the insects you know underneath the grass it, it's this film absolutely is not trying to hide its metaphors it is literally smacking you in the face with them and not just once two or three times it just smacks you in the face with them, um, but also, well, it, it's quite interesting because it is, it is such a precursor to uh, Twin Peaks uh, in the sense that uh, Jeffrey Beaumont could almost be, uh, a, a, you know, 
is well, it's absolutely a precursor to um, Agent Dale Cooper. Uh, and then also you've got the the murder mystery and the small townness, and then you've got a lot of bits in diners, and there's there's just there's so much that kind of wraps it up. You know, Blue Velvet. It almost feels like it could be set in the same kind of universe as as Twin Peaks is, uh, and part of that is literally just you know Lynch's. Uh, Kind of influence upon the Twin Peaks universe, and then this is 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 a, is a full sort of Lynch film with written and directed and everything. But there's they Lynch's films always kind of do seem to exist within themselves, and nothing in those worlds kind of seems out of the ordinary. You've got this a really terrifying character here that Dennis Hopper plays in Frank Booth, uh, who. You know, he has this, this, the gas that he inhales and then, you know, he has this, this Sado approach to, uh, to Dorothy where he's essentially using her to delve into his kind of, his own kind of sick sexual mind. And he's just, he's literally the, one of, one of cinema's most heinous characters. There's no, at all sort of redemption within him um yet we get to see him at some points um having moments where he is a kind of serene piece for instance when he goes and we see dean stockwell uh lip sync into in dreams um and you know you've got things just kind of just swaying and then all of a sudden he just he, he, he feels that rage coming up again and it's it really is it, it's it's an incredibly composed movie uh, to watch, and you can see why it, it could it could tip people over the edge of going. Do you know what? I don't like that. It's it, it, there's too much nastiness in it, and there is, and it would be really easy to just see the nastiness in Blue Velvet, but there is also this kind of this aching story within it where you've got Jeffrey, who at first he's just curious. As, as what's going on and kind of has that inquisitive mind and then he just delves deeper and deeper and deeper and he realises that he knows nothing about the world that he's delved into and he's just scared of it but he also realises that he's tripped off, the, off this train of events and he's partially responsible for what's going on and it, it, it really, every time I watch Blue Velvet, it, it just, it stuns me how good a film it really is. It, it really is an incredibly beautiful movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, oh, it's a fucking stunning film, isn't it? I, 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 yeah. I don't, I can't say anything I don't think you'd better say on it, to be honest. Mm. It, it, and as well, it, it does look, uh, it does look really, really good on Blu-ray as well. They've done a really good job with that. Um, I, I, I was kind of sat there before I watched it, looking at it going, do I watch the German Blu-ray version that I've got or the English Blu-ray version that I've got? They're the same. So why is this taking me so long to decide which one I want? So the US one, doesn't that have more content on it? The US one and the German one have more content on them, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because I've got um, the UK one, but there's what's missing in it. There's just you know you know the deleted scenes. Oh yeah, there's less of them, isn't there? There's less of them in the in the English version of it. There's about 
four or five more, I think, on the German and the US version. So quite simply, I, I bought the German version of Blue Velvet on import for for deleted scenes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's. But then again, what I'll say is they were totally worth it as well, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really is incredible. That, I mean, the, the, that David Lynch box set, you know, it occasionally comes up. Um, I, 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 from what I understand, they have sorted out the the tech issues that they had on uh, Fire and Water with me. Um, but that it crops up on stuff like the Zavi um, Monday sale things every so often for like... 15, 20 quid. It is absolutely worth 15, 20 quid, that, that box set. It really is incredible for either if you're a Lynch lover, which you've probably already got it if you are, or if you're somebody who's not really delved down the fucking rabbit hole that is David Lynch, because uh, he is quite a, he is an acquired taste, um, with, you know, absolute, with absolution on that, but it, that really is a bargain. If you can pick that up for like 20 quid, it's, it, it's easily worth a, worth a, a punt. Nice. So, cool. Uh, what's your one-old for us, then, Ian? Uh, okay, so my one-old is a film that I, th- I kind of thought had been a bit forgotten, really, until it kind of popped up tangentially in the news uh, towards the back end of last year. Um, Team America World Police. Oh, yeah. Um, which, you know, it's a film that no one talks about. Um, oh. You know, it, it just... It, it, until the whole interview thing came up and you know they were going to put on the screenings to Team America instead and then Paramount said that they couldn't do that and um, so I kind of, like based off of that I bought the Blu-ray because it was on Amazon for a fiver um, and uh, yeah the Blu-ray uh, transfers alright there were no features whatsoever so a fiver is about fair I'd say yeah um, but yeah this fucking film Jesus Christ yeah weirdly it's not it's not dated that much and it's 10 years old and yet there's so much of it which still feels fine i mean the, the things that have dated the most really are the the references to the actors like like matt damon has obviously gone far past matt damon and uh there's a lyric in the uh, pearl harbor sucks but i miss you um song where it's talking about how Cuba Gooding Jr. should have had more light, uh, more scenes. He's way better than a Ben Affleck. Yeah. Uh, which, I don't know. You, you kind of see that now. It's a bit like, wow, how far have we come? You know? Yeah. And, uh, but it's such inspired silliness with some of the best swearing um, I, I, I've ever seen on screen. Some of the rants that... King John Mill gets into like when he's he's ranting at one point at Hans Blix after he's put them in put him into his shark tank, where he's just kicking off about like how he's got so much work to do. It's and it's absolutely amazing. Um, but I mean, as well as that, there's it's got a ramshackle nature to it, which is incredible. Like, I know Trey Parker and Matt Stone. After the film was made, were very much like we are never ever going to do anything with string puppets ever again. It was <laughs> such a ball ache, but they do have fun with that. There's a scene early on in Paris where uh, two of the puppets have a fight, and it basically is the puppeteers just like smacking them into each other and then them jumping about. 
uh, which is incredible. But there's also, there's a bit, again in the um, Pearl Harbor Sucks But I Miss You song, where there's a shot of Gary, the lead character, riding his motorbike, and the camera just piles into him and, like, makes him, and just makes him fall off his bike. And it's obvi- it was obviously an outtake that wasn't supposed to happen, but they just left it, in. they just put it there anyway. Which, I, I don't know, it's just... Matt Parker and Trace, uh, uh, Parker and Matt Stone do not give a fuck, and it, 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 they and it's so good. But at the same time, there was, I mean, there were scenes of Team America celebrating just after they like destroyed the Eiffel Tower in the Louvre, and they're celebrating. There's celebratory music, and then it just cuts to like local residents just staring at them, and it does it again <laughs> later on in Egypt when they've blown up the pyramids. And just the the idea that it you know America as a nation it just does what it does gets on with it doesn't give a fuck what anybody else says you know it, uh, uh, hoorah you know it's such an antidote to American Sniper which is a film I feel like I'm going to be referencing on every fucking show this year uh, <laughs> and, and, and you know and just the way that I I don't know it. it I, I, in, in the years since, you know, I think the, the world has gotten off America's back, you know, and I yeah. think Barack Obama has, has kind of helped with that, you know, and, but um, I don't know, it, there's still, the, 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 the idea of America as a whole in this film still feels relevant, the idea of America, fuck yeah, so lick my butt and suck on my balls on my balls yeah and that's a great song where the next bit is them just listing all of the great American things yeah yeah all of the fine American things and then then there's there's always like one good thing that's like baseball the NFL slavery (laughs) and it's it's the one thing that that, um, Trey Parker and Max they have is they they have this like you said, they don't give a fuck, and they have this really kind of, you know, with South Park, they they, they outwardly say, you know, the reason why we can keep doing it is because it's so fucking easy to do. Yeah. You know, it looks like shit. We're happy that it looks like shit. You know, we made a movie, it looks like shit. We're incredibly wealthy, and we make things that look like shit that basically we've written when we've just been bitching about something that's happened. Mm. But they're... They seem to be two guys that are a lot smarter and a lot more on the button than even I think they'd give themselves credit for. And yet they still do things like get high and dress up like like women and go to the Oscars, where they yeah. were Oscar nominated, and yeah. they go to the Oscars and don't remember a thing about it. You know, there's still... I, I, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And it, it, it takes an awful lot of skill to make a film anyway. But also, like the South Park film, there's a lot of musical numbers here as well. You know, and it, it mm. just... They, they, they obviously care a lot. But then... I mean, that's the thing with the string puppets. I get the feeling they were going with the let's make this look like shit and ridiculous kind of thing again. But it turned out to be really hard work. And I wonder if it's a, if it's a coincidence that they've not actually directed a film since. Oh, they've said when um, after South Park, the, the movie, they were, I remember saying we're never going to make another movie again, which is why Team America kind of it arrived. And, everyone, and they went, oh, we've, we've made this movie. And it wasn't like... Like now, where if they started to make a movie, it would be like, oh my god, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are making a movie, and it'd be all that. It literally, the first people knew about it was when they started to kind of release clips from it once it was finished, and then 
they went, hey, you got those two American World Police. Are you going to do some uh, promo work for it? No, fuck it, we've done it, we've done it. And they both said, that's it, we're done. Yeah. We're done, we're not fucking doing another one. And they've been offered loads, because Team America didn't actually do that well at no, the box I office. I remember it bombed a bit, yeah. Yeah, um, and the, 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 but it's, it did really well on home media, it, ridiculously well on home media. And they've been approached loads, and the, the, the point that they keep on putting across is, with it, is the only reason we'd have to do another one is money. And we're already too rich to, to you know, to give a shit about money. Good on them. I mean, that's I, like I, the thing is with South Park as well. It's not on every week, all over the year, but when it is on, they are basically working twenty four seven for a couple yeah. months at a time a year. You know, so I, I think that's fair enough. And obviously, they did the Book of Mormon as well. Um, yeah. So I mean, they're not. I mean, they were heavily involved with the South Park Stick of Truth game, which uh, is. Uh, I think that was the own no that and the Last of Us were the two only games I completed last year. So well, yeah, they they said about that that that, that they wanted to create a computer game because they thought fuck it, it'll be interesting, uh, and we'll play it. That I think was what was what was what um, Matt Stone said. You know, we, we wanted to play a game that we'd play. That game is funnier than pretty much any film I watched last year. <laughs> I, I will I will say that genuinely that film made me laugh more than pretty much any film last year. Some of the shit in that fucking game is unbelievable. If I saw the PS3, I'd have played it, mate. Like I kind of hope it comes out on PS4 because I'd play it again. <laughs> and I never say that, even though that, that that is quite a strong endorsement of the game. That. Oh my god, I I I rammed through it in a weekend. Like I, yeah, I think it's about 12, 13 hours long. And I just, I started it on the Friday night. I finished it on the Sunday night. You know, I I really just rammed through it and I had so much fun doing it. Uh, Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Team America World Police. It's a joy. And it's also got the immortal exchange. If you promise me you'll never die, I will make love to you here tonight. (laughs) <laughs> I will never die. Die. It, it, <laughs> I, I, and also, it's got one of the best vomiting scenes ever made. <laughs> like, I, I knew it went on long, but I didn't remember how long it goes on for. And yeah, a long really time. Music in the background as well. And also, I've just got to say, the bit where Spotswood, the, the, the kind of the boss of the team, the only way he'll have Gary back into the team is if he sucks his dick, <laughs> not for any sexual pleasure, but because it will show that he's prepared to do anything. And just, like, the way that he just... He starts sucking his dick, and obviously, like, they can't do any facial reactions. So he is just, st- like, standing there with the same look on his face. And then he cuts to, like, the reverse shot, and it's just strings. You yeah. know? And, and then he just cuts back, and it's just... It's I, Team America World Police. It just it's so good, and if it, it just if it, like I said, it feels like a film that's been forgotten. That film holds up. And uh, I think it'll be getting a rewatch at some point oh, soon. Mate. So good. Cool. Right, I'll I'll throw my one my one new at y'all. Um, it was a film that I, I one of those ones where I was. 
it, it, it's an awards clean-up film uh, that I really wasn't that much looking forward to. Wanted, wanted to get watched. Um, and Becky finished work early on Thursday, so we gave uh, The Imitation Game a go. Oh, yeah. um, the story of Alan Turing uh, and how uh, him and um, a group of other um cryptographers uh, helped crack the uh, Enigma coding machine which essentially uh, for all intents and purposes uh, helped defeat the, the Nazis uh, in the, the Second World War um, headed up by Benedict Cumberbatch uh, playing uh, Alan Turing um, and then you've also got like Kira Knightley, uh, Matthew Good, Rory Kinnear Mark Strong uh, in there as well um, I went in with it, it the, the problem is the, the trailers made it seem like a film that was just a lot of accents. You know, a really, quite an important story um, that, that, you know, needs to be told, needs to be known. You know, a story that was kept secret for 50-odd years. Um, and Turing, you know, had quite a tragic end to his life in the end um, and was was a very broken man um you know by, by the end of his life uh, and you know the, the fact that what happened to him happened you know you're talking about a man who effectively did one of the most important things or was very responsible for doing for one of the most important things in humanity yeah i mean like we probably very much probably wouldn't yeah. be here if it wasn't for Alan Turing. I mean, exactly. it's, 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 up. I mean, it's amazing. It, it is, and it, it's not, that's not, uh, I don't know, anything like that, that is, that is just the way it is. And he was, he was responsible for that. And the reason why he took his own life and the reason why he isn't, as celebrated as he as, as he was, and the, the fact that he, he only got a, a a pardon for his, and I'm doing bunny ears, uh, and which is terrible because it's a podcast and you're listening to it, and you can't see me. For his crimes, um, only got that under like just shy of two years ago, and the only thing this guy actually ever did wrong was being gay. Is just it is mind blowing the fucking ridiculousness of that. And so my worry was going to this movie was right. Is all of that going to get glossed over with a lot of regional accents? Um, and I'm glad to say it it wasn't. It's not as in depth a film as it necessarily could have been. It, it absolutely isn't. You could have gone. A lot deeper into the whole, the seedier side of it, the nastier side of it, the, the more obsessive side of it. And you could have made a three hour, um, movie of, you know, of looking at touring and breaking it down. But this isn't as much. It's more about this particular portion of, of, of what he did. And, and it, it, like you say, it, 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 it's, it gives you an overview, but it, it works out like a like a kind of thriller romp, um, a war film that contains no actual scenes of war, um, and to the point of where some of the battle scenes that we see happening that are just kind of more to give context. Over narration, look, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, over narration, yeah. They the, the, the film they reminded me most of was Sky Captain: The World of Tomorrow. Yeah. 
Um, they, they have that kind of very much green screen, all digitally created um, look to them, which isn't a criticism. It, it just it felt in keeping with the movie. But um, Benedict Cumberbatch is very, very good, um, which is something that is just kind of it's almost a given now. You know, we know Benedict Cumberbatch is a very, very good actor and he's very good in this. But Kieran Knightley's also, and I really, really don't like Kieran Knightley. I have to put it out there. I do not think she's a good actress at all. I thought she was very good in this, actually, to be honest. Um, Matthew Good, um, he's another one of those actors where the fact that you know, he's a very good actor um, whose only reason, I think, why he isn't a lot more um, well thought of or doesn't do a lot more is because apparently he's a prick. Oh, uh, really? And he, okay. Yeah, yeah and, and apparently he's one of those guys where he's he's a nice guy to have a conversation with, but he has the capacity to just be a bit of a prick when he wants to be. Um, and so that has kind of played against him. I, I, <laughs> um, I, I, I tell you who I was really impressed with, I kind of think is an MVP of this film. Um, Rory Kinnear. Yeah, Rory Kinnear's, you know, he, he's, he's one of those where you get the feeling he needs something. He needs, he needs a film or a role that'll just, that'll make people go, Look, look at this guy. Look at this well, guy. He was rumoured. To be doc- doctor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very, very, like, it, I kind of got the feeling he might have been in the final three or something like that. Um, but... Was, was that when Matt Smith took no, over? Or was it when... Was it Capaldi? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, he's going to be he's going to be in the new Bond film again because he's been in the last few. Um, yeah. As uh, Tanner, um, M's assistant. Um, but um, what I really like about him is the way that he plays the, you know, he just thinks, like, he thinks there's a mystery involving um, Turing, and he seems to think he's basically a spy, and then when yeah. he realises he's not, like, the kind of, like, the, the sadness to his character, that he's basically put him away for something that you get the sense his character doesn't even agree with. Yeah, yeah, you, you absolutely get that. There's, he... He's literally trying to, when the other um, police officers are saying, you know, we need to do this and like that, he, he's almost trying to say to them, can't we just let this go? Yeah. Um, it does work. I mean, as well, you've got a, a very strong... Oh, I, I kind of did that. You've got a very strong performance from Mark Strong. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. Kingsman, by the way. Sorry. But Mark Strong is solid as fuck in Kingsman. Again, again. It's one of those things where you get the feeling that... That should be in brackets next to Mark Strong's name all of the time. Mark Strong is solid as fuck in this. Because he is always solid as fuck in pretty much everything. He's really good. But it, it, it's nice watching this because, I mean, the, the character that he plays in this, I think, isn't he the basis of M in the James no, Bond books? I don't know, but I can see that. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure I've read that before that the, he's going to, but there's, there's, um, was that bit in the movie where, you, you know, Turing basically turned around and says, you know, I, I, I wasn't a spy, it was this, it was the Scottish guy, I can't remember his name. He's like, well, yeah, we know. Mm. I was like, you knew? Well, yeah, of course we did. Do you think we didn't? Uh, you know, it was useful that the fact that we could control, not only control what uh, we were cracking with Enigma, we could also control what message we were giving to the Soviets. You know, and it's like, well, why are we doing that? We, you know, it, isn't that true? It's like, no, we, they, we needed them. Mm. 
And it, it goes down that route. It, it, it's, it's a lot cleverer than I expected I mean, it to be. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the fact that it wasn't all just about the creation of the Enigma device. That's like the first yeah. two thirds of the film. And then it kind of carries on after in the idea that, that you know, they can't just like let the Germans know that they cracked it straight yeah. away and that kind of idea of I mean there's that one scene where oh it just so happens that one of the ships that would be that's going to be attacked is what uh, that one of the guy's brother is on that that felt a bit artificial but um but I don't know I, I like that idea of they're going to have to sacrifice like that like a lot of lives in order to save a lot more lives you know, yeah and, and it, 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 it as a scene, it really, it, you know, uh, yeah, it's a very convenient scene, but it's played very well by well those by actors, yeah. those involved because you, you see them all realizing why. Um, at first, they're all like, you know, when Cumberbatch knocks the phone out of his hand, and then he says, "We can't do it," and you see the reaction of all of them as if they go, "Oh shit, we can't." Yeah, that's they're, right. The dawning that they're like, they're like, shit, he's right. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, and it, it, it's almost like touring. He can't explain. Look, I'm not, I'm not a prick. I'm, I accept that I am a prick, but I'm actually, I'm not a prick. I, I do care. I do give I mean, a shit. It's just that I don't know why I should. I will say, like. Cumberbatch, I like Cumberbatch, I think he's good in this, but it does slightly feel like he was doing Sherlock, but had been watching a lot of Sheldon and Big Bang Theory. You see, I've, I've never, I've never seen Sherlock, so I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have got, I, I'll, I'll, I'll absolutely take your word, word on that. Uh, but yeah, I, I never see that, so I, I didn't have that kind of connection to make on that. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, he is good, but he kind of, slightly does do the same thing quite a lot i'm intrigued to see what he does with doctor strange just because i want to see him have some real proper like hollywood charisma yes yeah. like even with sherlock i know you know cumber bitches and all that kind of thing but i don't find him particularly charismatic he's good but charisma's not one of his things i don't think no, maybe not. I, I think, I think, like you say, I think that could just be. I don't think he's in a particularly charismatic yeah, role. Yeah, no, totally. Yet. And that's like I say, like I'm kind of intrigued by Doctor Strange to see him play a good guy superhero. But it, even though his arc, the Doctor Strange arc, kind of sounds a little bit like the origins of Tony Stark. Uh, yeah. Kind of like the the genius who's got uh, an ego who, like learns to save people that kind of thing but you know fuck Doctor Strange is like nearly two years away I don't even know why I'm talking about that <laughs> right cool we'll get into our uh, our next feature review uh, which is of uh, the Disney uh, Marvel film um, Big Hero 6 my aunt asks we were at school all day got it we jumped out a window. No, it's a quiet shh. Shh, we jumped out a window. You can't say things like that around Aunt Gas. Shh. Shh. Huh? Yeah? Huh. You home, sweetie? Uh, that's right. I thought I heard you. 
Hi. Hey, Aunt Cass. Oh, look at my little college man. Oh, I can't wait to hear all about it. Oh, and wings are almost ready. Wings! You be quiet. Yeah, wings. Wings. <laughs> all right, get ready to have your face melted. We are going to feel these things tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Okay, sit down. Tell me everything. <laughs> okay, Big Hero 6 is about a... Well, that was a trailer, actually. You just heard that. I should say that. Uh, Big Hero 6, set in San Francisco, uh, which, amusingly enough, is very much like if you took San Francisco and then smashed it in the face with Tokyo. Um and we follow um, the incredibly white-looking uh, and incredibly Caucasian-looking Hero Hamada, uh, who's a 14-year-old um, genius. Uh, I'm already who getting is... a sense of what you thought of this, by the way. I genuinely um, don't know, but I'm already getting a sense. Uh, who uh, is is competing in um, the 90, early 90s um BBC Two show Robot Wars. Um, I was I was upset to find that uh, Craig Charles uh, didn't pop up and go who ya at any point um, or a wooga whatever it was he shouted. Um, but yeah, uh, and then his brother is at some kind of uh, university for robotech geniuses, um, and he goes to visit his brother uh, Tashida uh, there as Tashida's trying to get him out of this robo fighting uh, back alley. Um, dangerous kind of sport thing uh, that he's hustling his way around uh, by insisting that he has to try and create this new tech um, to get into this school um, while he's there we are introduced to uh, Tashida's uh, new tech that he's come up with which is uh, a personal healthcare robot called BMX uh, that kind of scans you and works out what's wrong with you and then from there fixes you and then goes back into his little box um and then from there Tashida it's the uh, longest did, synopsis ever it is it is because it's actually quite complicated to explain it's a really easy film uh, Tashida tragically dies uh, and uh, Hero thinks that there's more to it than just the accident uh, as his tech starts to tell him uh, Ian Big Hero 6 uh, what were your thoughts yeah well I mean I rather enjoyed it to be honest um I, I just realised there's a link between this and um, Inherent Vice. Maya Rudolph. Yes, yeah. yeah I didn't, I didn't twig on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I liked it, man. Um, I thought it was quite charming. I thought it kind of dealt with some different things for a kids' film. Um, I liked its kind of uh, ruminations on grief and not giving in to darker impulses when it comes to dealing with that grief. Um, I thought Baymax had a good line in kind of like almost kind of silent comedy era um, Pratt falling and was sweet at the same time. He kind of the character design kind of feels like it was focus groups to within an inch of his life. But, um, <laughs> you know, but that that's that's fine. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I don't think it's perfect. I, you know, the team, I think, are not really fleshed out all that well. Um, and to be honest, I think there's a couple of members of the team that just aren't really that interesting. So, hey, um, and, I, you know, the the motivations of the villain. Um, OK, my daughter um, got sucked into this 
other world dimension, so I'm basically going to destroy a city was a little bit mm. overkill. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I quite enjoyed it. I mean, I'm getting the sense that you didn't, so, uh, so tell me. No, I, I absolutely agree with everything you oh, said. Um, I, if you were to explain this movie to me, or if you were to show me a trailer to it, I would go, I, I don't want to watch that. That sounds fucking horrible. It sounds stupid. It sounds retarded. It sounds like the exact saccharine kind of crap that just pushes every single wrong fucking button. And it sounds like something that when Disney was sat around and there was Disney, Marvel and everything else that fucking Disney owned, which is essentially the world, uh, and they all went like that. And and Pixar just went, eh, let's take a pass on this one. And Disney went, well, fuck it, we'll make it. Um, that's what it sounded like. And then um, I, I, we ended up watching it because, you know, it's one of those things when you have a kid who's, who's sort of 10 years old, you have to watch kind of, to an extent, age-appropriate things. Um, and so Becky and Isabel both like, look, we kind of want to watch it. It's like, all right, fuck it, we'll, we'll watch it. And then it, it charmed me into submission. Um, you know, it's there's a lot wrong with it, but it's it's... 90 minutes long, which is how long kids' movies should be. Um, Bayamax, like you said, that is an absolutely perfect that. He does almost have that kind of silent cinema era slapstick nature to him, where, you know, he's, essentially he's a robot, so he's not aware of things like fear or, um, there's no situational awareness. Like the, the the bit where he's trying to get through the uh, the window oh, God. was hilarious. Yeah, when he's just deflating for an absolute <laughs> age. Yeah, that was gold. Yeah, it's just there's just gold. There's absolutely beautiful moments like that. Um, and the film is is so much better when it is just um, Baymax. Yeah, yeah him and Baymax. Um, the I, I don't need uh, it, it, it. It should be called Big Hero Two, because I don't need the other guys in it. Um, the Stanley cameo uh, went too far. It was better when it was just a picture on a wall. I quite enjoyed that. The, the throwback to him earlier on talking about how he wears his underwear. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. Sorry. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things. It, it's not a. It's not something that would that, that is going to lose a star out or half a star out for me. It was just a little bit like where I went. I don't need that, but it's it's a Which is really credits, by the way, folks. If you don't know what yeah. we're talking about, there's a bit after the credits. Sorry. Yes, uh, it is really a really nice film, a really sweet film that that to, to watch that that kind of it, it takes you on a journey and it finished. And I thought, yeah, I'm I, I'm happy with. With where that film took me, I I hope that that we don't end up with a sequel, but we probably will because the film's done incredibly well. Um, but I enjoyed what I the time that I had with it. It's it, it, it's very very fun. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing. I hope there's not a sequel as well because like the, the, part of the thing that I mean the thing I really enjoyed about this is the relationship between him and Baymax and how that helps him get over the death of his brother and you know that another one kind of just feels like it's going to be the continuing adventures of him and Baymax and I'm I'm not too sure if I'm I'm too up for that. There's also the fact that you know it's not the original Baymax. Which in, in, yeah. in a way bothers me. Like, um, uh, did you ever watch Fringe? 
I watched a little bit of it, but not a lot. Right. Basically, at the back end of the season before the last season, I think it is. Um, oh no, no, it's two seasons before that. Um, the, the the main guy Peter basically goes into another dimension where no one like knows who he is, and then um, the idea is that the kind of like the universes kind of merge, but. I always had a problem with it because, like, the people he was with were not the original versions of the people he was with, and like, because like he falls in love with the the the, the lead lady in it, and um, and 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 like his dad's there as well, and it's like they're not the original versions. So I kind of, in a weird, like, um, lizard brain way, I don't care as much. Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And yeah, I get, you know, I kind of got that a little bit i mean yeah it was only right at the end but i kind of got that at the end here where it's like it's not the baymax that he kind of started with and i'm I'm just it felt i mean they were obviously going to go there but it felt a little bit cop-outy to me in a way like if like if they weren't thinking sequels they never would have been but like maybe if this was made 50 years ago somehow when like they were thinking it could be a one and done that would have just been a, a really touching ending yeah, you know, and uh, that. Yeah, but no, they've they've got to do a sequel, and you know, they 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 kind of pump you up, and it's it's nice to see him back with Baymax. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's one of those where I can I can, I can absolutely see what you're saying and, and see where you're coming from, but it, it's it's something that might annoy me more in the next movie if there is another one rather than within this movie. Oh, sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have too much more to say on it, to be honest. But No, um, I, I don't. There's not, there's not actually that much to say other than the fact that it, it is a really nice, sweet, enjoyable film, to be honest. I, I, it, I, I, going in, having no interest in it, and, you know, not wanting to dislike it or expecting it to hate or anything like that, but just knowing that it, it, it's the sort of thing that usually pushes all my wrong buttons, it, it didn't... It, it, Thoroughly charmed me. Yeah, and I mean, like, if if um, the sequel's out in like four or five years' time, I think hopefully Lottie will be old enough then, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'll, I'll enjoy taking her to see the sequel, you know, uh, and and see what she thinks, you know. But it's, I I hope there's not another one. But that, you know, yeah, I, I would I would hope there there isn't, but but I'm I'm sure there will be because it's done really really well. <laughs> okay, uh, definitely not shit. Yeah, definitely not shit. Absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, questions. We've only got one this week. Um, it was, uh, from TGP73, uh, the Ginger Prince, uh, on Twitter, who says, what is your favourite cameo by a real person in a fictional film? Oh, man, that's a good one. That is a good question. Um... Mine is, um, Tom Petty in, uh, The Postman. Yeah, but he doesn't play Tom Petty. He, he he does. He, he it's never said that he is Tom Petty, but it is very much insinuated that he is Tom Petty. I'll say Malcolm McDowell in Doomsday because I believe that character is Mal. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, no, the first fucking thing that came up in my head, even though this is totally the wrong answer, is Shah Shah Gabor in Nightmare on Elm Street Three. But that's obviously. Oh not. god, yeah. Um, There's also Bowie's in Zoolander's really oh, good. Fuck, that is a good one. Yeah, that's a really good one. The fact that he just appears and it's just like, do you know what? Out of everybody who should judge a walk-off, it is David yeah, Bowie. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that one, that one works very well. Parker in um, Happy Gilmore is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a stream. Yeah, that is a good one, that one. Um, 
I know they were about it once, but these are the ones that fucking come into mind. So what can I say? Um, no, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, Bowie and uh, Tom Petty, but if I'm not, not allowed Tom Petty, I'm gonna go for Bowie in uh, Zoolander on that yeah, one. Yeah, Zaza Gabor or Bob Barker, there you go. <laughs> well, thank you for the questions. Um, anything else to add, Ian? Uh, no, mate, I'm good. What are we covering next week? Oh, man, Please, can we do Jupiter Ascending? Right, yes, seriously, I saw the trailer for that, and actually, think about it, I think it was a trailer I hadn't seen before, uh, before Kingsman. And there's a fucking bit in the trailer where Channing Tatum is saying, I've got more in common with a dog than you. And Mila Kunis is obviously wanting to fuck him. And she's just like, I like dogs. I'm a dog. I'm a dog lover. And he's just like, wow. What? Um, You know, that fucking film is going to be, I kind of think it's going to be a train wreck, to be honest. But I mean, like I've heard, I've heard a story that Eddie Redmayne's people are actively trying to distance them, distance him from Jupiter Ascending because they think it's going to harm his Oscar chances. Well, that that is it. Yeah, it, 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 he he is decidedly absent from pit from uh, press, isn't he? It, even though, like, um, he was quite happy to talk about it on the Empire podcast a few weeks back. But I think now some of the reviews are coming out, and the, like the, the clips of him in the trailer do not look good. I'm looking forward to Jupiter Ascending. You know, and hey, you know, I Speed Racer, fuck man, the Wachowskis did Speed Racer. It's going to give me an excuse to watch Speed Racer again this week as well, which I'm all good with. That film looks great oh on Blu-ray. My God. But but I bought that film for three pounds on oh. Blu-ray. Three pounds. But it's Dolby Digital only soundtrack. How the fuck does Speed Racer not get uncompressed audio? I it's and also I will say I think if that film came out a year later when 3D actually started getting used because it was 2008 that came out if that film came out in 2009 which is when the major like the UK chains really started outputting 3D if that film got a 3D retrofit that thing would have been fucking huge oh yeah yeah it's Spirit is a fuck. It, it is a really, really enjoyable, it, weird fucking it was, movie. It was one of the first big blockbusters that we got a digital copy of at the cinema when I was working there back in the fucking day, man. Jesus Christ, it's amazing how far we've come in seven years. I mean, well, oh, yeah. how far we dropped down, depending on your point of view. Um, but um, yeah, oh my god, I just remember watching that and like obviously digitally shot and then digitally projected it looked incredible and i test screened the 35 millimeter print of it and i've got to say i was a little bit like i bet this looks better digitally projected to be honest well that kind of thing absolutely would w- does lend itself to that you know it, it, it's that color world you know it it doesn't it, it you know it needs a brightness rather than a depth yeah yeah but that's a very good way of putting it so uh yeah jupiter ascending and uh we'll do fits um, absolutely yeah that yeah and that that's gonna be a batshit insane i'm, I'm <laughs> sure. fucking looking forward to it though yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be I'm well on board with nice. that. Cool. Uh, right. So, um, as usual, guys, uh, iTunes reviews greatly received, uh, or email us at dudenmonkey at gmail dot com, or uh, get in touch on Twitter dude at dudenmonkey at Ian Laurie or at dudefoz. Uh, again, thanks very much for listening, and we'll speak to you next week. Nice. <laughs> Right, I am going to go and eat chilli. Nice, I'm going to give the kid a bath.
Oh, nice. Right. Uh, well, have fun, buddy. And I shall. Are you, who's editing this? Uh, you yeah, or I'll me? I'll do the next couple of weeks, mate. It's fine. All right, cool. Right, speak to you soon, buddy. I'll be up in the next few days. Yeah, cool. Speak to you soon, bye.